On today's episode, I answer the question about steroids causing a lot of drinking in a dog. How can you help treat a cat with constipation at home? What are the aims of seizure treatment and how can we monitor the drugs? Also, what can we do about an itchy eye? How can we treat an itchy eye in a dog? And then finally, if you've got an old dog with incontinence that isn't responding to treatment, just what are your options? But first, here's the intro. You're listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Podcast, the show that answers all of your dog and cat health questions so they can live healthier, happier lives. And here's your host, veterinarian, Dr. Alex Avery. Hi, and welcome to the 13th episode of the Dr. Alex Answers Show. If we've not met before, I'm Dr. Alex, the veterinarian behind rpetshealth.com, and this is the podcast where I answer all of your dog and cat health questions, whatever they are. So thanks for tuning in with me for this week's show and sharing your valuable time. You know, if you're not already, then make sure that you're subscribed, and you can even submit your question to be answered in a future show over at dralexanswers.com. And then finally, just before we jump into today's questions, I'd like to read you this review from Tia who writes great info if you have pets thinking of getting a dog soon and this podcast is perfect lots of great info and Dr Alex answers really important questions so thanks for that Tia really appreciate your feedback and if you'd like to leave me a review it helps more than you can imagine with other people finding this podcast and you can do that by clicking on the review button on whatever app you're listening to or heading over to rpetshealth.com slash review So my first question today is from Earl, who writes that his vet prescribed his golden retriever with um, prednisolone, um, and he knows that prednisone can make them thirsty, but this dog is drinking an awful lot, and he's going to be on this drug for quite a while. So can that much water harm him in any way is really the question today. So I'm going to start off with by, by saying the two biggest side effects when we're giving steroids, especially when steroids are started or if they're given at high doses, are an increased appetite along then also with drinking and urinating a lot, which is what this dog's likely doing. So the increase in thirst is really a result of the peeing. So the dog is actually producing larger volumes of dilute urine because they're on steroids and so needs to maintain their hydration and and maintain their hydration levels just by drinking more. Um, You know, it's important from this point of view never to limit their water intake because it's not the drinking that's causing the problem, it's the urination. So if you are taking steroids or you're giving your dog steroids for any reason at all, it's really important that they should always have access to plenty of fresh drinking water. If you limit that water, it's not going to change the... uh, amount of urine that they're producing so it's not going to stop any accidents that they might be having or they might have but what it could do is it could lead to your dog becoming really dehydrated and it's important that that obviously doesn't happen now if we think of what excessive drinking is well a normal water intake is typically around um, 50 mil per kilo per day um, with an excessive drinking level kind of known as which is what we call polydipsia being defined as drinking more than actually 100 mil per kilo per day so over twice what this normal level would be so for um, this 80 pound dog that would equate to just over one gallon or a little over three and a half liters to be considered abnormal now Um, Earl says that his dog is drinking one and a half gallons so that you know that clearly says that's abnormal but we know why that's happening because this dog is on steroids. Now, for a dog that wasn't on steroids, then this level of drinking would actually or should actually trigger testing to try and diagnose what the problem is, because clearly it's an excessive amount. Now, drinking and urinating, they um, really are 
common symptoms for a whole load of different conditions, especially conditions of older age, and that can include diabetes, liver disease, kidney disease, um, some hormone abnormalities, and many other conditions as well, including some cancers. And so we shouldn't ignore the fact that our dog is drinking more than they used to. Some dogs, they don't need to drink this high levels to be classed as abnormal so if your dog isn't a particular big drinker and especially if they are getting a wet food where they will be getting a lot of water from their food you shouldn't wait until they're drinking ridiculously large volumes before you start to think that there's something wrong so any kind of increasing levels of thirst or peeing a lot more should trigger an investigation a trip to your vet ideally if you take a urine sample that would be great the most useful urine sample is the first one that they produce after being asleep all night because that's the one that should be um, concentrated and that will be concentrated if there's not really a problem if it's still dilute then that will trigger blood testing and other investigations now in this case drinking that amount is not going to cause any problems like i say what um, it's doing is maintaining hydration and problems will come about by restricting this water intake. Now, if you're having problems with your dog having accidents, so they're peeing overnight, they're having accidents in the house, you know, it's tempting to say, well, the steroids are causing problems, I'm just going to stop them. But it's important to say that steroids should never be stopped suddenly. Um, the dose should always be tapered down slowly. And the reason for that is that stopping steroids suddenly can cause something known as an Addisonian crisis. Um, and that can actually be fatal because what happens is your body stops producing stress hormone because you're giving extra um, steroids um, through the medication um, and it takes a little while for that to kick back in um, and what happens if you stop suddenly is that there's no stress hormone and that's really actually important for the body to function in a whole load of different ways and you get something called an Addisonian crisis so it's always important to follow your vet's instructions with whatever medication you're giving and certainly with um with steroids, it's important that we wean them off slowly. If you are getting severe side effects, you know, that either you or your dog are struggling to cope with, then really always talk to your vet before you change treatment to see if there's any other things that you can be doing to help manage those side effects a little bit more effectively and to make sure that we're not getting into dangerous situations by just stopping the medication. And then before we jump into the next question, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by the Our Pets Health Knowledge Vault. So this is the free resource library that contains a wealth of free pet health checklists, guides, ebooks, and calculators, all designed to help you look after your pet to the best of your ability. You can get access today for free over at ourpetshealth.com slash resources. And so moving on to my second question, which is from Lorraine, who writes about her 18-year-old cat, that his stools are very hard and he's constipated and very uncomfortable. He was on Cronulac Oral, but is there anything else that I can give him until I get to the vet? Okay, so this is really going to depend to a certain extent on what the causes of constipation are in this cat. And there are a number of different causes. So um, we can get dehydration, and that's probably the most common, uh, especially in an older cat. And that's often caused by something like kidney disease or diabetes being an underlying problem. So much like the last question about um, a dog on steroids um, drinking more, 
similarly with this if we've got an underlying condition like kidney disease or diabetes that's going to be causing a cat to produce a lot more dilute urine and as a result it can be difficult for them to maintain their hydration through drinking so that's one cause of constipation in cats other causes include something called megacolon which effectively is when the colon or the the back end of the intestinal tract stops being able to contract effectively and stops being able to move that fecal material through through the intestines and out the other end a previous pelvic fracture uh, or a tumour can also cause problems because they can actually cause a narrowing of that pelvic canal of the colon or of the anus and actually kind of cause a, a real problem for the stools to just simply fit through. Arthritis or anal gland disease or other painful conditions can also cause constipation because they can just cause a reduction in the desire to defecate. So if a cat knows that it's going to hurt, they're going to just hold on for longer and longer. Uh, So the stools build up and it dries out and then we get constipation as a result. Also, if there's something abnormal actually within the stool, so that could be bones, um, little bone fragments, that could be bits of hair. So if your cat's a a chronic groomer or they've got long hair and that's building up, then that can cause an abnormality in the stool. And again, it kind of gets stuck, um, then gets dry and we get some severe constipation. And then stress can also cause a problem. So if there's not enough litter boxes or if there's nowhere to toilet, again, a cat's going to hold on for for as long as they can before they go. And that's going to cause problems here. So what can we do about treating constipation? Well, lactulose, which is what this cat was on, is a very good laxative. So it's actually a synthetic sugar, which isn't absorbed by the gut, but instead it acts to pull water into the colon, which prevents the stool from drying out. It softens the stool, um, softens the poop, and then improves the passage through the bowel. So it often does a very good job. Um, All the the dose can needs to needs to vary quite a lot sometimes, so uh, we kind of give it two effects. So if we if we're producing diarrhea, then we're giving too much. But if the stool is still really firm and we're still having problems, then we can always give it um, a hot, at a higher dose or a little bit more frequently. But clearly, that's something that you're going to want to be talking to your vet about. Now, adding fibre is something that can also help. So fibre is really important for colon health. Um, it improves contractions as well, uh, and so can treat constipation. Now we can add fibre. By, with a number of different ways. We can give Metamucil, we can um, add wheat bran, we can add canned pumpkin to the food um, and that can all help. Conversely though with cats and cats being a bit more of a challenge sometimes than dogs with a, for a number of different reasons, you know, some cats will actually respond better to having a low fibre diet. So, you know, maybe assessing what your cat is currently being fed, how much fibre is in that. If it's a high fibre diet already, then try to have a try to reduce that to to make a much lower fiber um, component in the diet but if they're being fed a normal food which is generally quite low in fiber then actually adding that can help and then really hydration is key so a lot of these things work by uh, a lot of the laxatives work by drawing water in and softening the stools well if we're hydrated then that's going to help prevent it in the first place and help make any laxative treatment more efficient so we can increase our cat's water intake with a number of different ways so that can be um, through feeding of wet food we can add water to the food you can um add fresh water into different types of bowls so it's important to have different types of bowls throughout the house some cats will like drinking from plastic some from metal some from glass they all impart a slight flavor onto the water and um, cats can be really sensitive to that equally giving bottled water or filtered water rather than tap water depending on where where you live and depending on what your water quality is like might be might be beneficial we can also make broth so you can boil up a bit of chicken or some vegetables um, in some water and then use that as a broth to add 
add a little bit to your cat's water bowl. You can actually kind of freeze portions of that so that you can have kind of broth ice cubes and add that to the water, which will make it last a little bit longer. We want to really be avoiding any um, stock cubes that have got a lot of salt or anything in it like that, because that can cause problems, especially in an older cat where there might be an underlying kidney problem. And then running water is another big benefit for cats. So a lot of cats will like drinking from running water. So you can obviously leave a tap running, but uh, having a pet or a cat water fountain can actually be really beneficial in our older cats that are struggling to maintain their hydration. Now, I've actually got a, a separate article that I'll link to in the show notes that goes through all of the different ways about how to get a cat to drink more water. So if you're struggling with this for your cat, then I'd encourage you to check that out. And then um, other things that we can do is to um, make sure that there are enough litter trays so that your cat's not having to hold on. Also make sure that your cat can easily access them. So if you've got an older cat who's really arthritic, actually a, a lot of litter trays, they have quite high ramps or if it's enclosed, they might have a narrow entrance to get into that tray. And that can really cause them problems actually accessing their tray even if there are plenty around or if they're the only cat in the house so try and use a tray with a, a lower lip or use a ramp so that it's easier for your cat to get up into it um, also exercise can help to mobilize the stool um, and to treat or prevent constipation so depending on what your cat enjoys doing that could be um, playing with a mouse on a string or you know whatever it is they like to be doing and then finally just to make sure that we're treating any other conditions as well so like arthritis like I say you know we want to be making sure that there are, are, are treatments in place for the other conditions so are they getting an anti-inflammatory painkiller are they getting a, a kidney diet to treat their kidney disease are they getting insulin to treat their diabetes and is that um, treatment effective and working well so you know I hope that gives you a few ideas of how we can go about treating constipation in cats and really having a thorough understanding of the causes in the first place makes a big difference. Get your question answered at dralexanswers.com. And so my next question is all about Coco, who's a pit bull who's been scratching his eye for about a week now. Um, owner gave him some pink eye drops um, or some eye drops called Pink Eye Relief, which is a natural eye drop containing euphrasia. Um, they worked for a little while, but then it comes back and he starts scratching again. And um, Coco's owner is wondering if he has an allergy, if he's got an allergic or having an allergic reaction that's causing his eyes to be quite itchy. So what can we do for him? You know, there's no yellow pus. There's nothing coming out of the eye. It's only mild tearing and it's clear. So we'll start off as I often do with the causes of watery eyes and causes of irritation. So we could have a mild conjunctivitis. Um, there could be a very um, small superficial ulceration a small eye ulcer on the cornea so the front surface of the eye there could be an extra eyelash growing into the eye causing irritation and um, there could also be irritation causing rubbing which is actually then causing the tear discharge so the skin if the skin around the eye is irritated then your dog can rub their eye or be seeming to rub their eye when it's actually the skin that's causing the problem but that in itself is then going to cause it to become more watery and then we can also have a problem within the eye actually causing discomfort and that's then causing them to rub their eye. So that would be something like a, a glaucoma. So an increase in the pressure within the eye would be an example of something that causes some discomfort, causes pain and a dog will rub their eye as a result. Now an allergy is possible. I would say it's not a very common cause of eye irritation and runny eyes um, unless a dog is also irritated elsewhere. So frequently with our um, kind of allergic 
allergic dogs, they're also going to have itchy skin. And so scratching their fa- um, scratching their feet or um, having ear problems um, and rubbing their fa- face elsewhere are going to be um, potential problems here. Um, and also with allergic problems you'd also expect both eyes to be effective so if it is an allergy that's just causing watery eyes you'd expect it to be both eyes and not just one so those are really the causes of a watery eye and it's important to think about those before we can then give an effective treatment because if we don't know what's going on then you can see that the treatments might be very different now um, pink eye relief um, I had a little look at what that was it's not something I was familiar with but that's actually a homeopathic medication where the euphrasia has a potency of 6x and what this means is that one part of the euphrasia is diluted in 10 parts water one part of this solution is then diluted in 10 parts of water again and that's repeated for a total of six dilutions to give a final concentration of one part euphrasia to one million parts water now whenever something is not improving with the treatment being given regardless of what that treatment is and whether that treatment's based on an at-home diagnosis or treatment by your vet then we really need to reevaluate things now in this case um, homeopathic medications don't work you know i'm going to state that plain and simply if you want to read more about homeopathy and its use in pets then again i'll leave a link down in the show notes um, and you can read up about that but clearly they don't work full stop so we need to think about what's going to work we also need to reassess the um, the diagnosis so whatever is causing that problem now there's no way i can tell what's wrong with this eye if a dog has got something like a glaucoma so an increase in their pressure within the eye that's a really serious condition and that needs to be treated appropriately if they've got an ulceration in their eye then that's something that needs a different treatment if they've got an eyelash that's growing into their eye and causing that irritation again that needs a different treatment as well so in this case seeing your vet is really the most appropriate thing it's definitely not worth trying anything else because the consequences might be that the um that coco loses sight in their eye you know that might sound extreme but it's a possibility with some of the potential causes of this problem so i definitely encourage um coco's owner to take Coco to the vet to have the eye checked out and if you're ever giving any home treatment for anything and it's not working then you need to see your vet you need to reassess that diagnosis and discuss whether there are any other treatment options that you can consider. Gigi writes in with the next question and she says that her rescue dog is now three years old and he developed daily seizures he was started on phenobarbital but he's just started seizuring to get today it's had a couple of seizures and just he feels really bad for him you know seizures are really a horrible thing to to have to witness the problem is or the potential problem is is that he's unable to be examined without sedation even for collecting blood so should Gigi still take her dog to the vet for another blood test or what should we do what should she do is there any other things that she can do to help is there a problem with having sedation multiple times? So there's a couple of different problems here. And I'm going to start by saying there's a number of different causes of seizures. And I've said this um, many times in several other questions. And really a young dog with repeated seizures, with no problems on bloods, with no access to any toxins, and who's fine between seizures is most likely to be epileptic. They're most likely to have epilepsy. And really, it's important to say that the aims of epilepsy treatment is to reduce seizure frequency and reduce seizure severity. So we're not necessarily trying to eliminate all seizures, although that would be nice. It's not something that we're going to realistically be able to achieve in every epileptic dog. Now, if we take phenobarbital uh, as the kind of the example here, then 80% of epileptic dogs 
on phenobarbital are going to have their number of seizures reduced by at least half. And about one in three dogs on phenobarbital are actually going to become seizure free. You know, so phenobarbital is a pretty effective drug. I've actually got a whole article about phenobarbital over at rpetshealth.com and I'll leave the link in the show notes below. Now, when a newly diagnosed epileptic dog is started on phenobarbital in particular, after two weeks, the blood levels are going to have stabilized. And so at that point, we can then check them. And the reason we do this is for a number of a, a number of factors. The first is that in some dogs, they will need to have a higher dose just to reach the, the desired range within their blood. And the other reason is that we actually don't want the level to be too high because that can lead to an increased likelihood of side effects. Now, if we take a blood test and the level is it's within the, the therapeutic range, so the range that w- which we want it to, to know that it's working and a dog is still having seizures, then there's a number of different things we can do. We may be able to increase that dose a little bit more just to um, bring those levels up a bit without them reaching the toxic dose, or we may need to start thinking about adding additional drugs. So something like potassium bromide would be an example here. The other thing we can do is actually consider switching to a different anti-epilepsy, anti-seizure drug. So um, the example would be pexian or emepitoin as another kind of frontline epilepsy treatment. Now, if we're still having problems and we're still not getting any seizure reduction, then there are other things that we could be doing. But, you know, that's a, a, a much deeper topic. And that's going to really vary depend on the, depending on that individual uh, individual dog. Now, if we're then talking in this case in Gigi's dog and who, who needs sedation, and we may need to do frequent blood testing, at least in the initial stages, sedation is generally very, very safe. Depending on what we use, um, the vast majority of drugs don't have any cumulative effect. So we can sedate a dog very safely, you know, day after day after day if we need to. And sometimes we do need to do that. So for, if, for example, we've got a really nasty wound and we're having to change a bandage um, every day, then we'll sedate for that. And there's no concerns there really in general. You know, obviously some dogs will will have an increased risk than others. But, you know, talk to your vet also as well to see if there's anything else that your dog can take at home to make him easier to handle in the clinic um, so that a full sedation is not needed. So there's a number of different things um, that may be able to be given so that he feels a lot more comfortable. He feels a lot calmer. Um, he may feel a little bit sedated, but he doesn't need a full sedation to have that blood draw done try socialization visits so just go to your vet give treats that you know your dog likes um, sit in the waiting room for a couple of minutes and then leave again so that your dog learns that actually every time they go to the vets is not going to be the end of the world something nasty isn't going to happen every time as you progress through those socialization visits they can get longer you can maybe go on the scales you can visit the consult rooms you can have the staff give treats you know all of these positive experiences will help to desensitize your dog to the stress of the vet clinic and that you know can can make a big difference as well especially if you're then able to give something just to take the edge off their anxiety before they make that visit so you know those are my thoughts here we definitely want to be you know considering additional treatment or considering monitoring bloods in this dog because having a couple of seizures in quick succession is not something that's ideal but equally if your dog is epileptic and they're on medication and they're having the odd breakthrough seizure obviously be in touch with your vet but that is not necessarily in itself a need to trigger 
trigger additional treatment or additional measures. And so that then brings me nicely into the fact that you need to remember that the information that I give in these podcasts is not a substitute for a consultation and examination with your pet's veterinarian and should not be taken as specific advice for any individual pet. If your pet is unwell, if they're injured or if they're suffering from any kind of problem, then talking to your vet is always the best course of action. You're listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Show. And then finally today, Barb asks about her dog, Abby, who's been leaking urine um, for the last six weeks, sometimes quite a bit. She's still going to go outside to urinate, but she's started leaking at other times. And she's started to be given two pills of proin, um, and that was increased to two and a half pills a day with no real change. So she's still leaking quite a lot. Um, The vet said that we will stop the medication if it's not improving the situation, but it's not sure what's causing the problem. And Barb is looking for a solution because clearly um, a dog who is incontinent, who's leaking urine in the house, is not a nice condition to live with. And it's not very nice for your dog either, as well as has the potential to cause other problems, which I'll come on to. Now, I'll start off by saying that the most common cause of incontinence in older female dogs especially in those that have been spayed, is something called urethral sphincter mechanism incompetence, um, or USMI. Now, what happens here is that the urethra, which is the tube that drains the bladder to the outside world, it loses its tone, it becomes a bit floppy and flaccid, and so the resistance to flow of urine and the ability to hold urine in the bladder drops. Now, what happens next is that typically we get leakage of urine when a dog is lying down, as that puts a little bit of increased pressure on the bladder, Um, Though you can get leakage at other times. So if they're coughing, for example, or if they're running, um, then you might also get leakage. But leakage when a dog's lying down, um, and especially when they're lying down and sleeping, is often the most common uh, times when we get urinary leakage and urinary incontinence, especially in the early stages of the condition in a dog who's just started to develop incontinence. Now, there are other causes of urinary incontinence in dogs, and that can include something like ectopic ureters, which is where the tubes that um, come from the kidneys into the bladder, so they take the urine from when it's produced in the kidneys and into the bladder, um, actually enter the bladder in an unusual position. We can also get the bladder actually sitting within the pelvis. So if it's not quite into the abdomen and it's sitting within the pelvis, again, that change in pressure, especially when a dog's lying down, can cause problems. Um, And then also some people mistake a dog needing to urinate more um, in consonance with a dog needing to urinate more and having accidents overnight. So if your dog is actually urinating more um, and if they're having accidents overnight, they're kind of peeing normally, then that will sometimes be mistaken for incontinence. So if they're not leaking in their bed, if you get up and they've, there's a big puddle of urine somewhere and actually their bed's dry, um, then the chances are actually that they might be drinking more, they might be producing urine and they're not going to actually be incontinent. So we need to consider that. Um, and causes of drinking more and causes of producing a lot more urine uh are numerous and they include things like diabetes, kidney failure and other things that I've discussed in kind of previous answers. So really the first thing to do is that urine testing should be done. So we need to make sure that a dog is able to produce ideally concentrated urine, check that there's not any other problems going on there and bloods also may be needed. So if there's any doubts that a dog may have kidney disease, they may have diabetes or what have you, then we should be running tests to exclude those things. An incontinent dog is also a much greater risk than normal of developing a urinary infection, a urinary bladder infection. And that can actually also make incontinence worse um, and means that a dog won't respond as well to the treatment that they're given appropriately for their incontinence. So it's never a bad idea um, if there's any doubt. Again, 
to send a urine sample to the laboratory for culture and sensitivities to, to see if they can grow any bacteria and to see what antibiotic or what the best antibiotic is to treat that so depending on the urine sample that you take in it might be that we can tell that there's a urine infection just by looking at the microscope and by using a dipstick but sometimes we do need to send off a culture and sensitivity just to confirm that and then how do we go about treating incontinence in dogs well there are two different types of drugs that we use to treat uh, incontinence so so prion which this dog's on is something called phenylpropanolamine and the continence rates of dogs on this treatment um, are between about 75 and 90 percent. But unfortunately, you know, not all dogs are going to um, respond as well as we would like. And not all of these dogs continue to respond well, even if they do initially. Now, typically, um, this drug's given two to three times a day. So a dog who's on it twice a day, we can maybe consider giving it three times a day. Although, Having said that, I would have expected some response if a dog was going to respond to this if they're on twice a day. Um, and then the other treatment that we can give is something called estriol, which is a hormone treatment. And that has a complete response rate of 65%. So not quite as good as the prion, but um, you know, still the majority of dogs will, will respond to this treatment and will become dry. A partial response is going to be exhibited in a further 17% of dogs. So they might still leak a little bit, but nowhere nearly as badly as much. And then some patients, they're just refractory to all drug treatment. And if there's no response, then um, if there's no response to either, then, well, first we want to try the other one to start with. But there are going to then be um, various surgical options that can be explored that really will vary depending on uh on the dog, on the the, the problems that your dog has, um, and also on the availability of uh, surgery in your area, because these are generally quite specialist surgical options. So, you know, those are really some of the things that we can think about in a dog who's got incontinence in general, but also who doesn't seem to be responding well to the first medication that they've been tried on. And so that's it for this episode of the Dr. Alex Answers show. Um, be sure to subscribe if you're not already. And if you do have a spare couple of minutes, I'd love it if you could leave me a review over on iTunes or heading over to rpetshealth.com slash review. And that will just help more people discover the podcast and allow me to help more pets, which is what this is all about. Remember too to head over to dralexanswers.com where you'll find the links and downloads that I've mentioned in today's show. And until next time, take care. You've been listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode of the show where you ask the questions and Dr. Alex answers.